Okay, I definitely remember how to do this. <laughs> Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the premiere of Star Trek Picard, Remembrance. Hooray! We're back! Did you have a nice Christmas? I'm sorry, I should have asked. How was your holiday? Uh, my holiday was wonderful, actually, yes. I, I went with my whole family. Uh, we all got together. Even my wayward West Coast brother. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was amazing. We were in Washington, D.C. Oh, lovely. It was beautiful. That sounds fantastic. And you were, you were at, a, at a far and away wedding over here. I was in exotic Detroit and I loved it. Like, I love Chicago. I love Detroit. I love the Midwest. One day I'm going to go there in summer when there's like leaves on the trees and I can swim in a great lake. Yeah. And yeah, that would be really exciting. But I, it's a great city. It's, I, I really enjoyed Michigan. I uh, bought a Detroit Tigers bandana for the cat because apparently <laughs> Detroit sports teams lose a lot. And uh, I really empathize with that. My football team also loses a lot. I, I don't sports, so. <laughs> I don't really sports. And one of the great things about supporting a team that loses frequently is that you kind of bow out of the season very early. Mm. So it's, it's less stress. Yes. I like uh, the culture of a whole community and a whole neighborhood coming together to support something. And then I like forgetting about it for the rest of the year. Yeah. yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> And now our whole community is supporting and talking about a little show called Star Trek Picard. What? See that segue? So great. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I really tried. <laughs> it's my kind of sports. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in a vineyard. Drinking wine. Painting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is uh, a lot nicer than Luke Skywalker's retirement. Seriously. It was idyllic. That's what I call it in my photo cap, his idyllic existence. Oh, I, I like that. I think that's very true. And then it's shattered first by journalism and then by <laughs> Daj and her mystery. And yes, mystery. Yes. yes. And then, yeah. Assassination so it's, it's... plots, robots. Synths, apparently. <laughs> yeah, they called them like many different things actually he kept saying android and everyone else kept saying synthetics yeah and i feel like, like a lot of people oof. going oh this old man he doesn't know the new language you have to call them since now that's polite <laughs> but they're evil so no one really cares yeah about apparently polite, i feel so it's really too early in the season to say whether it's good or bad or anything but uh, i'm not gonna let that stop me i liked it a lot but i also have some pretty serious quibbles well i uh as, as i think i've said before i grade pilots on a curve yeah this was a good pilot oh yeah definitely a pilot <laughs> i there were multiple times where it really felt like they were turning to the audience and saying this eh? is now eh? exposition <laughs> let me explain yes. everything you need to know I am a little cynical, I, I'm always a little bit cynical about fandom, but I'm a little bit cynical about the people who are praising it for being so much less expository than the Discovery <laughs> premiere, when 
we literally have two scenes where women basically sit down and explain the plot. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so no. <laughs> it, is, it is extremely expository. But it was also... I think um, we can put the the this is the most amazing thing ever uh, uh, commentary on Patrick Stewart himself. Oh yeah, he. Like, I will. I watch just I just have screen anything. caps of just his expressions from one second to the next, and it's amazing. Without even speaking, like the the crinkles in his eyes go from one thing to another, and it's a completely different emotion. So. He did, it's definitely like on his back and everyone around him did well as well, but. Oh yeah. And, and he wasn't really given the exposition as much. No, which is funny so, because Picard is such a speech maker as is highlighted in the coming this season thing. So but, I think uh, maybe people just missed the, but yeah, I mean, and, and one of them is named Index. Like she literally is like I'm going to explain all of the necessary information now. I have so many questions about Index, starting with when does she get her own short trek? <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm. So our, our first exposition scene comes more like about a third of the way through with the interview with Meron Dungay's unnamed journalist. Can I say I had a lot of problems with this scene? In what way? I'm interested to know your problems. Well, I think... Like, are they structural or contextual? More content. Like, I think uh, the uh, press interview is a really solid, classic way of delivering both exposition and characterization. I just didn't like the way it played out. Uh, and that's partially because of what happens on screen, and we have Picard condescending to this woman and I have a really visceral reaction when men address younger women as my dear like mm -hmm. dude <laughs> but it felt like she was being set up as an idiot to enable Picard to deliver a lecture and that felt like clumsy writing like the pyramids is not the historical parallel that naturally fits into the evacuation of Romulus and yeah and okay so <laughs> he he says it should be dunkirk yes i had to look that up <laughs> i just want to put that out there i don't consider myself stupid but i'm not really a student of history and the most i knew about dunkirk was that there was a movie about it in 2016 <laughs> uh i was aware of dunkirk and it was in my head but i'm not very good at remembering names of things so i was thinking normandy no normandy is the invasion dunkirk was the evacuation i thought maybe it was related to Snoopy and the Red Baron, which is <laughs> my cultural touch point for war. And right. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, I don't watch war movies, and I don't study war. Like, it's just not my thing. And so I don't think it was like this. I, I, I related to the journalist in, in not knowing what that meant. Yeah, and I don't think it's a crime to be unfamiliar with a, a historical event 500 years in the past. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm fairly knowledgeable about history. I have a history degree and I read a lot and I spend a lot of time on Wikipedia, which as everyone knows is a really good source. But I wouldn't 
I couldn't tell you about X battle or a date or anything like that. But the other thing is, when she asks Picard about why he left Starfleet, that's good journalism. Like, this is not Adam Driver promoting a movie and asking not to have to watch himself act. This is in the public interest. And when you ask a journalist in this context not to inquire about something, they're almost obligated to inquire about something. So there are a lot of people going, fake news and put that bitch in her place. And I'm like, A, she is doing her job and maybe she is, maybe she isn't bigoted against Romulans. And, you know, you can have a nuanced conversation about how the press is complicit in the and not immune to the bigotries and biases of the wider culture. But she's doing her job. And the fact that it is a black woman being lectured to like this and she is one of only two black people in this entire episode. And, and the, the other, other one dies. Yeah. It just felt really, really off to me. I mean, I think that they were, I, I think we were definitely supposed to be against the journalist. Mm, <laughs> it, yeah. it was for the lens of, and be, I guess be, just because Picard is Picard. Yes. But it, at least in his, in his later scene on the couch after Dodge has been disintegrated and he mm. realizes that he has been hiding in his idyllic existence instead of yes engaging i feel like that was a call back to it in a way that was sort of saying oh she had a point yeah yeah i agree and i also think that maybe it was intentionally written as a scene to show that picard is still still has flaws but the subtext and everything just didn't really work out for me and then like people were so against the journalist in fandom and it felt it just sort of played into an ugliness in our own culture that I found distressing. And then I started thinking about like the depiction of journalists in science fiction in general. And we could do a whole episode about that, but it wouldn't be much about <laughs> Star Trek could. because Star Trek barely has journalism. Yeah. Star I mean, it's, it's kind of weird really how Ooh. little news there is in Star Trek because it feels like, especially when you're following the flagship of the fleet, yeah. And all of this crazy happens all the time. Like, I want to know what the story of Wolf, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever yeah. Seven is. Like, I want to know how the civilian population looks at these things. Yes. How do people get their news, whether they're on the Enterprise or Deep Space Nine or... Whatever. We know that Jake did a bit of journalism during the Dominion War, but yeah. that's about it. Like But we do... only saw him like him struggling with his writing and what he was going to tell. Yeah. Like we didn't see anyone watching him. Or reading it. Yeah. yeah. It was it was very different. And I really wish like this is a very strange absence in Star Trek's universe, but you know, Babylon 5 had a really problematic relationship with the news media, which is ironic because it was created by a, a former journalist, but uh, they were really hostile to anyone who questioned their heroes and uh, downright misogynistic in some cases, which, mm. and this scene really reminded me of that in Picard. Not in a good way. Mm. I, I say that as someone who loves Babylon 5. I don't know. It's just an interesting question in science fiction in general, and I feel like Star Trek's depiction was a bit off. 
<laughs> Basically, I said yikes, and then I kind of said, "Okay, space boomer, good, good o, thanks, Picard." <laughs> My flatmate yeah. said it felt like a old man shouting at clouds. Well, I mean, he kind of is. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. what I say when I mean when I when it, I bring it back to that couch scene, and he's like, "Oh, I am an old man yelling at clouds. I have to stop. I have to go." Do something, yeah. Do something instead of instead of complain about it. Yeah, and I think that's really great. I'm kind of annoyed that it takes fridging Daj to to get there, <laughs> but yeah. we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. I haven't seen fan commentary to this mm. at all. I I don't. Um, I don't do Reddit, and Twitter has been very spoiler reverse. It's interesting, isn't it? Like Star Trek fandom is doing so much better than Star Wars. Yeah, and I don't. I and I. I mean, you know, part of that I think might be that. Uh, it's everything I've seen has been very positive. Everyone's yeah. reaction has been very positive. Even, you know, there's no one who's been saying I hate this. I, I saw a few things like, oh, this. I didn't. You know, I didn't think this was the kind of Star Trek I like. And there was that one. Entertainment Weekly article that everyone hated, but those, those are the only like that. negative reactions that I've seen. Whereas most of it, I've seen people just absolutely exultory. There is one friend on t- on Tumblr that I follow who I'm actually going to mute because she hates it so much and also isn't tagging. And it's not that I disagree with her criticisms; it's basically the whole thing I just said then, but. Mm. I am trying not to let other people's negative voices into my head. I'm trying to this year stick to my own opinions and not uh, take other people's feelings Mm. on, even when I agree with them. Mm -hmm. Suffice to say, I did not have a great time with The Rise of Skywalker and I don't want to do that again. Where I was going with it being so positive on Star Trek's side, Mm. uh, my side of Star Wars Twitter at least has been very unhappy with the rise of skywalker and vocal about it and i think mm. that it was because it that they they had such a negative reaction so i think that the positive reaction is better for people who don't want to be spoiled because then people don't they don't want to spoil it for you whereas that's the when thing that's you're the so thing. upset at something you like shout about it and and it doesn't matter that, yeah. that, that you're you're doing you're doing these spoilers because you're just sort of stuck in your emotions that's that's the thing uh i was spoiled for a big chunk of rise of skywalker by someone who hated it and who hated it so much he felt like no one would want to see it yeah. unspoiled and that really annoyed me so yeah, yeah. I, I deliberately didn't read the Entertainment Weekly review, but it sounded a bit silly. It's criticisms and not it. my criticisms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, did. Um, I read it enough that I could comment on it, but I didn't really. <laughs> make. Yeah. Please. I know, and also I got to like a paragraph that was talking about something that happened in like the third episode. And I was like, I haven't seen the third episode. I'm not going to read the rest of this. Like, as you say, you know, why, why are you spoiling something that hasn't happened yet? Like, just because you got to see three episodes doesn't mean yeah. the rest of us did, so you shouldn't put it in your first episode review. Yeah. That's, that's just etiquette. I certainly see, having seen just the first episode, why they showed three episodes at the premiere, because it felt like very much the first chapter of a story. And that's not a criticism. Like, this is clearly going to be a very leisurely 
exploration. Mm-hmm. And I watched it twice. I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. I noticed the exposition more the second time around. But uh, yeah, I, I if I wanted people to get hype, I would be showing more than this. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So we have Picard and we also, before the credits, meet Daj. It says it says here, Annika's favourite tropes. <laughs> yes. I, I that that was my takeaway from that Entertainment Weekly uh, article was that <laughs> he was really he's like, Oh, it's just a list of like tried and true tropes being forced into a story and I was like yeah that's sort of true uh, but they're all the tropes I love so yay uh and also that's how stories are made so I don't know what his yeah yeah tropes are like the raw ingredients of a story (laughs) that's it's called the recipe of an episode so Daj is she is you know petite smart pretty young thing Mm mm-hmm Almost who, a Joss Whedon type of waif yeah, in distress. Which, which you know, I, I, that, that is my thing. Because I am small and, mm. and underestimated yes. easily. Uh, and so, and then, but she is secretly a super robot assassin girl. Mm. Like and a, it's even a secret Widow, from herself. Or, as you say, River Tam. Uh, yes, type. Yes, it's even a secret from herself because so she's she's programmed. I love all that stuff because it means that you have all those identity questions that you have to deal with. Yes, which is my favorite story. My favorite stories are all of these, all about identity. And then it turns out that she's a secret twin, <laughs> and that she has a secret family, and that her. So that again, more questions of identity, more secrets about yes. who you are, and if you're a whole person. Because if you're a twin, then there's someone who is a, identical to you, and that is, you know, identical twins are literally one being that become two. So it's like, uh, you, you know, she's missing a whole part of herself, and she didn't know that. She has a secret necklace. <laughs> 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 connects to her twin and she like literally everything about her is are all of the stories that I read and write and like all of my Dungeons and Dragons characters are exactly (laughs) like her the the really really high uh, like dexterity and charisma and a low constitution (laughs) like it's so me I am loving how modern Trek is just really leaning into the the Mary Sue thing, you know, the secret female relative of an iconic male character. I think I I was reading about Mary Sue's and the black backlash there too, just this week. And uh, so much of it came from a sense that fandom meaning the sort of mainstream male short story writing fandom that votes in the Hugo Awards would not take us seriously as science fiction writers if they think we're just silly women writing Mary Sue's. This was in the 70s and I'm so delighted that this is a thing now that Star Trek (laughs) is intentionally leaning into. It's so good. It's just everything. I love it all. I have questions 
Like I did, have lots of questions. Oh, and we're meant to have questions, but stuff like, did Daj know she was a twin? It seems odd that she and Soji would have the same father who makes the same necklace for them. Yeah, I don't think she did know she was a twin mm. because she never mentions it. Like, no, and and I feel has... like she would be. She would have said something. <laughs> right, right. Like. If someone is saying, hey, I think you're an android, they would say, no, I was a child and I have parents and I have a twin sister. Right. And yeah. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. I actually, sometimes Reddit is good. So there are two theories that I've seen. And one is that the five queens of hearts that uh, Data plays in mm-hmm. the dream poker game are foreshadowing that there are five Dajas out mm-hmm. there. Like maybe, so maybe... Daj's twin didn't make it to adulthood and so Soji has some other twin out there like or maybe there were six and now Daj has exploded and so now they're down to five who knows but I really (laughs) like that theory Mm -hmm. Uh, because mostly because I'm into wanky dream sequence foreshadowing stuff it was my favorite thing in Battlestar Galactica but the other theory that I really love is the suggestion that Daj is still alive. She was not fridged, in fact, but she was beamed out of that explosion by the Romulans and she's a captive and they're just rebuilding her and repairing her. And I'm very into things that uh, let women explode, uh, survive cataclysmic explosions. It's just a thing that I'm into mm-hmm. for no particular reason. <laughs> Hi, it's 2020. I'm still mad about Kat. Especially but- if she is, and be- because she is a an android, and according to the final scene with Picard and Gerardi, you need like one microchip <laughs> to yeah. create an entire person. You know, you wouldn't have to save very much of her to recreate her. It would be like a ghost in the shell thing. Yeah, yeah. She could or even have a whole her, different her, body or. Her biopositronic brain survived and they just need to build her a new body. Something like that. Like, Exactly. It really, this is the second Trek premiere that it consecutively that has presented an Asian character, an Asian woman character, as a regular, and then killed her, and then replaced her with a duplicate. <laughs> so, I so I'm stop like, doing that, <laughs> guys. You need to like think about these things, but also, what if she's not dead? I'm very into that. Like. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, I feel like Picard did not take enough time to grieve. And we as the audience didn't get enough time to grieve. Like, there's a scene on the couch, but it's more about his pain. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's not about her. It's not about the end of a life. And it's weird because his his Romulan friends, who are, like, nearly my favorite thing the entire show. I adore them. (laughs) I love them so much. But they were like, well, she wasn't even there. What are you talking about? And he's like, no, she was there and she died and Romulans destroyed her. And they're, and uh, Jerime, the the man, Mm. he says something like, she must have had a cloaking device. Uh, That's why she didn't show up on our our monitors. (laughs) It was like... Okay, that is the most random sentence to say. And instead, you're like, and that's what they're saying instead of it really is sad that we didn't know that she left and and then she died. It's like, yeah, you're talking about a person, not a cloaking device. Mm. It was just so weird. Like that. Having said that, like, 
I love them. They're my favourites. In the comics that are coming out to preview the series, they are introduced and they were Tal Shiar agents who fell in love. And, and so maybe that's just a Tal Shiar thing that they're thinking mm. about and, the cloaking and device instead of the person. Yeah, I, that it, that would definitely be a Tal Shiar thing because that's it would be a spy thing. And it certainly makes sense that they are former super spies. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I love this because... It makes me think of that time Garrick was the gardener at the Romulan embassy, and I hope that these two and Garrick are like pen pals. <laughs> They're like plain, simple caretakers. But also, how does the Federation feel about the fact that this very senior prominent admiral retired and now he's just <laughs> hanging out with ex-Tal Shiar agents? They can't do anything. He's, he's retired. They can't, they can't say anything against it. No, no, and I get that. I just think surely someone out there is, is going, guys, is this is this okay? Are we are we certain that they're just what are they doing? Are they like servants? Are they his researchers, his personal assistants? Who knows? I I suspect that they're just mainly housemates that he maybe pays or something. They just seem to be caretakers. I mean, there's no money, so they can't mm. be paid. But a lot of advertising, though. He provides them a home. Yes. That, and safety. No yes. one's coming to get him, so no one's coming to get them either. And they protect him and make sure that he has his tea and his mm. breakfast. Decaf. And, uh, and, you know, wash his dog. <laughs> so... So they, I think they just have a sort of symbiotic relationship. It's weird. I'm kind of like, on the one hand, an honest job where you're not mistreated is a good thing and there's no indignity in being a servant. On the other hand, I'm like, it's the 24th century. Why, do, why, why are we still outsourcing this labor? Like, I guess a machine can't wash your dog, but, you know, Picard could wash his dog. Well... I mean, it all comes down to why does Picard own this house and this gigantic vineyard? Yeah, yeah. You know, he, it seems that they're, it's the three of them. <laughs> and, and they have a lot of space. And it's just strange. Maybe. It's, it's just, it remains strange that he is landed gentry. We covered this in our last right. episode, and like he's walking around wearing the Picard crest as a pin. They all are, <laughs> and so, so are assume... they. Yeah, and I so I assume that this is like a civilian communicator, and you can, I, I guess, have it three D printed in whatever design you like. Obviously, mine would be a squid. <laughs> I like that idea. Thank you. That you can get your 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 communicator however you want it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and Picard is just stuffy and old-fashioned and used to wearing uniforms, so he wears the Picard family crest. It's weird. It's just weird. It's you know, really it's, weird. It's, it's, it's cool for merchandise, because so, <laughs> when it comes down to it, we still live in this capitalist society, and they care. We really do. <laughs> so. Next on our list is Dr. Agnes P. Girati, and I am not the only one who saw this character and went, Wow, she really reminds me of Annika. I know. You're actually one of three <laughs> that I know of that, that, that told me so. <laughs> so. Well, she's small and feminine and very enthusiastic. 
Yeah, and she she I love how she goes from laughing to staring awkwardly <laughs> like in a split second. I was like, "Oh, I get it. I get why people think this is me." I'm like, you know, this is an episode where Daj literally and unironically refers to Picard as the great man. So it was kind of good to have someone just laugh in his face. Yeah. And he and it was so funny because he just sort of stared at her and that's and then that's when she started turning sort of sort of into the awkward oh oh I actually have to answer you because you're mm. serious. And but it was so it was good. She didn't blush or or stammer. She just sort of went through this you know, expression of, oh, okay, I have to actually pay attention and treat you mm. seri- with seriousness. <laughs> and it was just really fun. I, I really enjoyed their instant dynamic. Uh, Same. That he, and I... that he was, uh, I felt like, like she's going to be someone who can sort of get away with things with him. She feels a bit like a Tilly without being a replica of Tilly. Yeah. But I think this this whole franchise in the 21st century is doing really well by weird, smart women. But I love, I love her whole thing. I, I loved the idea of her as, you know, as soon as they said that Alison Pill was going to be in Star Trek, I was like, mm. I, instant favorite character. So <laughs> I was very excited that she lived up to that. But when she walks into the empty lab and is like, this is where I work. And I was just like, oh my gosh, she is amazing. She, this was her life's work and it was destroyed, but she hasn't given up on it. Like she's, she's the one who's still there, still I have questions there about to answer that. his questions, you know? But, and I was just like, yes. But good, Alison Pill is only 34. So this attack on Mars was 14 years ago. She would have still been at university then. Yeah, so assuming that the character is the same age as the actor... I'm going to say even more awesome if she, it was like her childhood dream and she was like, screw the fact they're not letting me do this. I'm going to do it anyway. I agree. But it's also sort of like it's 1950 and you're doing research into phrenology. Like this seems to be a discredited science science for better or worse. And yet the Daystrom Institute is still hiring like research fellows. I don't know. I think it's more like nuclear fusion. Mm, interesting. You know, That's something be- that we we don't have yet, or, or but wait, yeah, is it fusion that, or fission that we don't have? Well, f- uh, fission is the one that's dangerous and cool. destroys things. So what I mean is, like, she's trying to say, okay, that was dangerous, and that was bad, and but but what if it wasn't? <laughs> you know. And, yeah, and that so, makes sense. So she's trying to keep it alive in the idea. And I mean, I would say that nuclear power is still very controversial. It's one of the cleanest energies, but but it does also, if it goes badly, you you got a Chernobyl, and that's yeah, yeah. not a good thing. It destroy it destroys it from you know decades. So this is a debate we're having in Australia, literally right now. I think they're having it everywhere. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, it's it's very. Because it's, you know, how are you going to save the planet where you have to take a few risks? But what risks are we willing to risk? Yeah. So I, I see a lot. I, you know, they, uh, Patrick Stewart said that there was going to be, like, climate change discussions in this, in Picard. And I feel like this is leaning in, in that direction, at least. Oh, that's um, interesting. 
I kind of want to know more about the synths and like how sentient were they? Did they have a culture? Could they reproduce themselves or were they being made by human or organic humanoids in a factory? Like when synths, synthetic life was banned, what happened to them? And is that like, where do they go? And is it maybe a parallel to the way a subset of our society is trying to erase trans people? for example. Not that it's necessarily a good metaphor because trans people have never been linked to a major act of terrorism, but when you're talking about uh, erasing or making illegal a whole category of human, you know, it's that sort of thing that I think of. Uh, there's a lot of... There, there are more questions than answers mm, which in, is this, in this entire idea of, of banning the synths. How were there so many, like, they mass-produced them pretty quickly after Nemesis for there to have been enough to go rogue and destroy 90,000. Like, it's, there's there's just a lot of, it must, it, it like, exploded with, with Maddox's synth research or whatever and then immediately went bad it's just there's there's all sorts of questions because mm. it was it's a not that long a timeline you know they're saying oh it's it's 20 years later it's like 20 years is not that much time no for this no. entire thing to have happened <laughs> and and to and to be 14 years ago yeah so, like, we know that Maddox was interested in creating more Sung-type androids as far back as Season 2 of Next Gen when he was introduced, and we know that Data, at the end of Measure of a Man, was interested in working with him on that project as a collaborator, not a research mm-hmm. subject. So maybe Data had assisted him to a point, and maybe... I am curious to know whether Data consented to the use of his positrons to create more androids or if this is like Maddox doing a Seska basically uh, and basically writing his own self-insert data baby fic. Oh my gosh. Like I assume that we're going to find out. I assume that uh, we're going to see him because when you say in the first episode that a scientist is missing and hasn't been seen for years. We're definitely going to see him. Yeah, yeah, and this is Star Trek, so he's probably on an isolated planet with an inappropriately young wife doing illegal science. Yeah, so my question is, is Maddox Dodge and Soji's father, or is Lore Dodge and Soji's father? Those are the two two I've picked up on. It's either Maddox or Lore. I don't think it's going to be Lore. I don't know. I don't want it to be Lore because I don't really like him as a character, but at the same time, if Hugh is back, then we're acknowledging that Descent happened and that was the last time we saw Law. So, yeah, it could be. Or and it could he was be... with Borg. Yeah. It could be a third party hijacking Maddox's research to do their own thing. It could be, I don't know, maybe the holographic doctor has decided to branch out. It could be anyone. And I'm curious to know what part the Borg are playing in this and... Is that real, that cube they're all hanging out on, which by the way is a stupid idea, uh, <laughs> really dead? What does uh, Harry Treadaway's British rom com Romulan want with Daj? Yeah, I have questions. They're going to answer them, but I, ju- I-, I want to know now. I call him Kylo Romulan. 
<laughs> I was into that. Uh, I was into him. And then he started talking. And one, I was very thrown by his accent. And two, I got very distracted by his teeth, which are quite crooked. And that's not something you really expect to see in Star Trek or any American television. So I, I'm kind of thrown. I need to take some time to get used to his teeth. Well, he's a young Romulan. You know, he did. He. How old can he be? 20? He would have so, been a kid at most yeah, when so Romulus was when Romulus, destroyed. So he doesn't like have memories of, of Romulus and he's been a refugee his whole life. So mm. I forgive his teeth. Oh, I'm not <laughs> being a snob about his teeth. I just found them distracting and need to get used to them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm so curious to know what his deal is. And then speaking of twins, the actor Harry Treadaway has a twin brother who is also <laughs> an actor. Amazing. I'm Everybody's going to have a twin. Well, he, he's talking about his brother who was lost a year ago and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. So, yes, right. It, he, he was definitely, the, the whole brother thing was, that was not a throwaway in order for him to have a connection to her. That was definitely a plot point mm. because it was very awkward. And the way he looked off, you know, into the distance, like, oh, I, I used to have a brother. And I was just like, okay, yeah. you're being yeah. way dramatic. You are very Kylo Romulan. But, but that's, but the, that, those things, that's why I, I was thinking of lore. Like, they, they just kept talking about brothers and twins and yeah. copies. And I was yeah, like, yeah, duplicates. This, is, this already exists within Data's storyline. It's true, and, along and with the showed, daughter. And they showed like, before, so it was like, okay, mm. we're, we're like collecting all. And that sort of ties in with the, there's not just two, there's five. Because it turned out there was not just one data, there were two. There's not just two data, there's three. You know, they just kept upping mm. the data. Not to mention so. all of the other random Sung truck type androids that turned out to be kicking around. I think there was only one other and that was their mum, but still. Yeah, there could be, like, who knows, it's... <laughs> it's Sung is sort of a Mary Sue in and of himself <laughs> in that you know Agnes says they were a thousand years away from creating basically lore yeah <laughs> right yeah. so it's like really and, and you just picture Sung leaning into frame going hey guess like, what I did that's how yeah it's just it's just crazy so he mm. obviously has magic I'm curious to know whether this whole AI plot line will sort of tie into anything Discovery did last year. And I really feel, I've had this rant, I feel like Discovery could have told a really interesting story about AI and algorithms and manipulation and chose not to. But maybe, maybe that's the story that Discover, um, Picard is telling instead. Maybe they were holding it for Picard. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I... I feel like we're doing Cylons and I don't quite understand why we're revisiting this story, this concept that has been done so many times in science fiction in the last couple of decades. But that comes back to my thing where I think Michael Chabon is not an amazing science fiction writer. So, so he, he wanted to do his own version of Cylons. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that that's a bad idea. I just feel like it's so recent and you know, then you have stuff like Westworld and all of that. Like, give it a rest for a decade and come back when you can when you have something new to say. I mean, you could say that about pretty much everything in fiction right now. <laughs> oh 
Oh, yeah. And look, <laughs> so... there's no such thing as an original idea. There's just original and quality execution. And I'll probably end up enjoying this, but... I mean, yeah. I-, I am biased. I will always take your Cylon story. <laughs> I, am, I am there for it. And I just hope for it to be as in-depth as I want it to be. I want them mm. to, to, ha- to have these questions about what, what am I if there are five of me? Yeah. You know, what, yeah. what makes me me? Which are always the questions that they shy away from, that they never actually get to. Yeah, yeah. And we never really had that with Data and Law either because Law was just a straight-up bad just, guy. Right, exactly. I, You know me. I never want the straight-up bad guy. I want yeah. the discussion of the reason that I am bad is this, this, and this. Mm. And, and to struggle with it. To yeah. struggle with the pull to the light versus the pull to the dark. And, and not have it be black and white. Star Trek is more black and white than a lot of, than Battlestar Galactica, for example. It is. And I think people often overlook that. And, you know, I saw people going, oh, I hope that they don't start uh, depicting the Federation as some kind of colonialist force. And it has always been a colonialist force. Like you say in our notes, is Starfleet ever Starfleet? Right, right, right. Yeah, I really want to talk about that. Because because you know me and my you know, like, I, really angry reaction <laughs> to the whole we are Starfleet thing. Yes. And how much I hated it as a as a shortcut. You know, mm. instead of explaining what we are Starfleet means, they just use it as you're supposed to know what Starfleet is and what Starfleet means and, and why we're not acting like it and now we're going to act like it. And it's like, no, because you never, in the entire season that you just did of this show, you never once explained what Starfleet is. Like, Saru mm. had a nice speech, but that was the closest you got. And that was yeah. more about the crew. And uh, that script was also by Akiva Goldsman, who co-wrote this one. And so I wonder if <laughs> maybe he personally needs to sit down and yeah. articulate what he thinks Starfleet is. Just just to make it clearer for the rest of us. And so when Picard said they're not Starfleet anymore, and I was just like, oh, come on. Like you, of all characters. Right. Your entire 30-year history is butting heads with Starfleet. <laughs> like, that's literally what you do. Yeah, yeah. So, that is your shit. So, I can't. I can't with this. And the thing is, like, people might come, you know, people will say, oh, it's just, you know, Starfleet, Gene Roddenberry's vision of Starfleet was this, this paragon of virtue and everything after Gene Roddenberry ruined it. And it's like, mm. no, go watch the original series again and watch how many admirals went crazy because Starfleet is actually not great turns out right right and like there were literally episodes of the the original series that were like actually this whole anti-war pacifism thing is really really bad you guys should be fighting a war and you know not not often but often enough that our concept of what Starfleet is is actually really muddled and we know what Starfleet wants to be and that's wonderful but yeah exactly yeah. that is the disconnect there is mm. the idea of Starfleet and then there's the reality of Starfleet mm. and the reality Having... of Starfleet has never been has never lived up to mm. the ideals 
Yes, the point is that they keep trying. Having said that, as a, as a 21st century story, I like that this is about a problem that began when the Federation turned its back on a refugee crisis and was exacerbated when they tried to wipe or, or erase the existence of a group of people. Like, that feels 21st century to me. Yes. It, um, it's a, I think they're grappling with great questions, and I think that, you know, I'm never going to be against the show painting Starfleet in a morally gray mm. <laughs> light, because I think that's true, and they should... They, you know, this, this is my Seska rant. They, yes. We need that. We need someone to say, hey, actually, Starfleet but isn't also, always great. And the other thing is that the shades of grey were not just introduced in Deep Space Nine. They were always there. Right. Deep Space Nine sort of sh- shone a light on it more. Yeah, or... and I think because it's set outside or like on the border of the Federation in right. that liminal state between the Federation and the rest of the galaxy, and that's they why... have more freedom to do so. And that's why I've never... I... I'm glad that DS9 did that, but it's also, it needs to come from inside the house in order to promote actual change. Like, it's better for me, for Picard, mm. to be having this crisis because he represent Starfleet. Yeah, and I'm excited that this is a show driven by civilians. Because, you know, a lot of these civilians seem to be ex-Starfleet. I don't know if Gerati was involved with Starfleet, but she said something about Maddox recruiting her from Starfleet, so who knows? Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying who knows because I'm not sure of my memory, not because this, the script was unclear. Um, but then we have Rafi and who I love. I know she hasn't appeared, but I love her. And <laughs> the guy, the pilot the guy. guy. Yeah. The, the pilot guy, the guy with, with the ship. <laughs> I don't know. The his ship name. and the cigar. <laughs> and they're, and Picard, they're ex Starfleet. And they, they all seem like they've been damaged by their association with Starfleet in some way. And I think that is a good group of people to question. Yeah, the nature exactly. of the Federation and Starfleet. And apparently that's what Seven of Nine is also doing in her own way, which I'm very excited about. Oh, I can't wait for Seven. I'm really, I'm still, there's a rumour going around that the one of the episodes ends with a Janeway cameo, and it was said to be the first episode, and obviously that didn't happen, but now my heart is like, but we have more episodes that people have seen. Aww. Maybe she'll turn up there. Why am I doing this to myself? I'm just going to be disappointed. I'm not invested in a Janeway cameo. I wish I wasn't. I wasn't, <laughs> and then this rumor started. And then this, this and... person, aww, yeah. I'm sorry. They're playing with my heart. I want Janeway to be on Picard's side. <laughs> I kind of, this is terrible, and I think I just stole this idea from season four of The Expanse, but I kind of want her to be the, like the president of the Federation and, and realising to her frustration that one individual cannot turn the entire Federation around because that's mm-hmm. not how even executive power works. Mm-hmm. But also I think she would be really bad at that job. Yeah, she'd be terrible president. <laughs> but, you know, Archer was, so... It's a yeah, very yeah, low there's... bar. She she could definitely she could definitely do it. There's precedent, and I think Tuvok <laughs> would be an amazing chief of staff. Aww. Maybe I just want more Tuvok. I just want more Tuvok. Ugh. Yeah. The other thing I want, like after this episode, I would really like it to pass the Bechdel test. 
In fact, if women could speak to each other at all, I'd be okay with that. Like, it's 2020, we could do that. I don't know, you're just asking a lot. I'm upset that Daj's unnamed boyfriend yeah. was, the syndicate, was murdered before we found out who he was. I, the only black man in the episode. Like, yep. come on, guys! Like, I, this is another one of those Landry quandaries where you could tell that they were like, we're being super progressive by casting this as a black kid. And then he He's murdered He's dead. Him. Without telling us his name or literally anything about him. He's just her boyfriend and she just calls him her boyfriend. Yeah. And he's Zahian, which is cool. I'm really glad to see that Zahia is part of the Federation now, or at least there are Zahians on Earth. That's great. <laughs> did he have to die? I mean, I guess he did. I guess he did. I guess the real question is why did the Romulans have to be all white? Why did Index have to be white? Right, exactly. It's a, it's like, if you're doing this whole casting, whatever, it, there are, I don't know. Yeah, the way to avoid this problem doing. is to have more diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, stop introducing Asian women as regulars and then killing them. <laughs> Please. We're almost at the end of our list, but can I make a quick costuming note? Yes. I love costuming. That's what I thought. Uh, Picard wearing a tie. How did you feel about that? <laughs> I cannot wait to deep dive into all of Picard's costumes. I'm waiting until the end of this season to update the yeah. Picard fashion po- project because I just, I don't, you know, I want to see, the way I do it is all of the appearances of a certain mm. costume. So it needs to be, I need to know when he wears what. Um, and why. But I will say that I love the khaki pants. <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about the baggy khaki pants <laughs> that are like tucked into his shoes. I just, I love them so much. They're like quintessential old man <laughs> They're pants. They're so perfect. And I love them. And I love all the knitwear, like Daj's hooded coat and the Romulan woman's jumper, her sweater, and Picard's burgundy sweater. It was great. I love it all. I just, is like, we have a female costume designer again. It's not Gersha Phillips, but it's a different woman. Apparently there's more than one woman in costume oh, design. What? I know. Crazy, crazy. Talk. And I'm wondering if her putting Picard in a tie is like a nod to the outdated practice of putting women in really high heels in the 90s. <laughs> It was fun because Laris had to adjust it for him. Like yes. he didn't. He was like, "I need to wear a tie, but I also don't know how to do it." Like I, I liked that little part of it. I liked them making fun of it. I, yes. Again, but... I just really love Picard and his Romulans. <laughs> They're <laughs> so good. I so hope that they accompany him on his thrilling shenanigans in space but I also hope that Laris is like reporting back to Beverly on how Picard is and Aww. also like doggo pics because you know <laughs> but she's a cat person you know I'm a cat person but I still enjoy a good doggo <laughs> did you like the good doggo I did I have a note here that says he is a total Gary Stu but that's just because I like to point out that 
no character is perfect. Uh, and I'm sure he's not actually as reliable a uh, threat sensor as, for example, Worf would wish. But yes, he's a good <laughs> doggo and I love him. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's cute that he, like, I, I, it really is an idyllic existence for Picard. Like, he's clearly lonely. He's clearly depressed. Like, yeah. he, he is not okay. But... but- what a situation to be not, to be okay, not okay in. Exactly. It was like I think I feel like I would be okay with being depressed in in that amazing yeah. Yeah. place like, with his giant glass of wine at all times. Twice a week, I and my dog will walk to a transporter site and go to therapy, and the rest of the time we're just going to sit in the sun, and read a book, and drink a giant glass of wine. It's just amazing. I was like, yeah. that that. Like, I, I am up for if that's what retirement is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happens. This whole retirement thing sounds great. You should all try it. <laughs> oh, I just had a terrible thought. Are the Romulans, uh, his caretakers, the equivalent of the fish nuns in The Last Jedi? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> and Daj turns up with his old lightsaber and he chucks it into the <laughs> vineyard and... And they're like, uh, I mean, they kind of do because that's because they are very, you know, they're very like, it's okay. You did the best you could, you know, they're again, they're super protective of him, which I love, but it's really like, they're also sort of enabling his depression by, by allowing him to not engage. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not necessarily bad. That is a version of caretaking. I, I, I love them. I'm not against them, but it is funny mm. <laughs> too that that he even when like a a young woman literally shows up on his property and is like, mm. I've been seeing you in my head. <laughs> I need your help. And it's it's like there's still sort of there's a reluctance on both on both Picard's part and the caretaker's part mm. to sort of be like oh yeah sure we're definitely gonna join you in your adventure to to protect you well you know if if in in tv canon they are ex talshia and even if they're not they're refugees who've lost their planet and who came from a deeply oppressive totalitarian society like these guys shouldn't be caretakers these people are all depressed and traumatized together <laughs> yes they're they're all doing their best but their very best isn't so. very good their vest isn't very good and that's what that's what the show is about the show is saying hey do better which is to be fair is also what the last jedi is about so (laughs) so hey as long as the rest of the series doesn't go into rise of skywalker territory i guess we're okay but okay like even picard stepping away from writing history and going back to engaging with the world is like his own take on let the past die kill it if you have to exactly oh my god i just pictured picard as kylo ren and i had a moment no 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 no. (laughs) definitely the romulan is kylo ren yeah yeah despite his teeth if adam driver (laughs) appeared in this i would die like he's not gonna i know he's not gonna but i love him a lot i now want to cast adam driver in star trek really badly thank you for Mm. ruining my life I'm sorry. Like, he, Adam Driver was already ruined my life. So <laughs> now, now everything is ruined for me. I'm just saying both he and Jason Isaacs are very into playing table tennis between scenes. Oh, now I'm 
okay, I've got to stop because I'm having way too many thoughts about yeah. this. Because <laughs> now you have him connected to Jason Isaacs and it's just bad, bad, all bad. Everything go away. All of my thoughts, I'm going to write that fic eventually because now it exists in my head. I have no regrets whatsoever. <laughs> go give us the outro and go write that fic. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for episode two of Star Trek Picard, Maps and Legends. Which might pass the Bechdel test. It could happen. <laughs> but probably not. I'm trying not to get my hopes up, but I'm like, just, we're doing, like, we're doing honestly, better than The Mandalorian. I think the next episode is going to be Picard rounds up his posse, and that means it's just going to be Picard talking to a bunch of people. Well, one of them will be Rafi, so I guess I'm okay with that, but uh, yeah, I'm off to go look at Daja's necklace again. Bye. <laughs>